and turn with me to the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 10. And we'll read from verses 17 to 27. After the the message, uh, after the talk of our Pastor Carl, there will be opportunity for questions. And there will be a number on the screen if you want to text a question, uh, which might be helpful for you, please do that. But there will also be an opportunity to ask questions from the floor. So um, just be prepared for that. Mark chapter 10 uh, from verse 17, Uh, the word of God where it says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man that is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Thank you, Carl. Well, it's uh, great to be here today and to uh, keep thinking about this uh, question. Uh, Maybe I'd be a Christian, but... uh, And this morning, uh, we're thinking about that objection, that obstacle. Uh, Maybe I'd be a Christian, but I don't need Jesus uh, to be a good person. We've been thinking uh, last week and then over the next few weeks about what it is that keeps people from wanting to become a Christian or following Jesus... Uh, And as a church, we wanted to know genuinely what people thought about that. And so we asked our friends and our family and the people that we met what they thought. And we're trying to dig down into the top four reasons that people gave us of of what keeps them from becoming a Christian. Uh, As I said, today we're thinking about this, uh, maybe I'll be a Christian, but I don't need Jesus to be a good person. And if you've come today, particularly because 
Uh, that's the, the obstacle that you have. That's the thing that keeps you from wanting to follow Jesus. Uh, then I'm glad that you can be here. And I really hope that uh, what we think about this morning will be hopeful, uh, helpful for you. Uh, and uh, alternatively, I guess you might have been coming here for a while. Uh, you might have been part of the branch for a number of years. But, but maybe you still have doubts. Maybe you're still not sure who Jesus is. Uh, and you're still not really that committed to following him, I hope that if that's the case, uh, this morning is helpful for you as well. Uh, Or you might have a friend that you know who has doubts and obstacles, and you're wondering how you can help them. Uh, And in which case, I hope that today is helpful for you as well. So let me pray. Let's pray that God would speak to us and uh, and encourage us and help us to deal with our doubts. Uh, Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, uh, you are the God uh, who made this world uh, and who loves this world and then loves the people in it. And we know that because you sent your own son to die, to rescue us, to redeem us, so that we might know you. Uh, And so, Lord, we want to ask that... For those of us who have doubts and obstacles uh, that keep us from coming to know that wonderful gift in Jesus Christ, we ask that you would speak and speak clearly and powerfully, uh, that you might overcome our doubts uh, with truth and with certainty and with confidence so that we can know that you are the true and living God and that you meet us in Jesus Christ. We ask it for his name's sake. Amen. Well, at one, one level, I think the, uh, the truth of this objection, I don't need Jesus to be a good person, seems like an obvious objection, doesn't it? Uh, You don't need to look very far in the world to see that there are lots of good people who make no claims to know God or or, or to be a Christian. Uh, You might think of the uh, young Pakistani activist Malala Yousafzai. Uh, She, at the age of 17, was the youngest person ever to be uh, awarded the the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, She's a strong advocate for the education of women Uh, And even her attempted assassination by the Taliban in 2012 didn't silence her. She was shot in the head, but astonishingly she survived and she has continued to courageously uh, advocate for the education of uh, women and children. She's a remarkable woman uh, who makes no claim to be a Christian. Uh, Or closer to home, we might think of the late ophthalmologist Fred Hollows. Uh, Fred Hollows had one simple goal in life and that was to end avoidable blindness. According to the Fred Hollows Foundation, remarkably, astonishingly, distressingly actually, four out of five people in the world who are blind don't need to be. It's terrible, isn't it? Four out of five people in the world who are blind don't need to be. And Fred Hollows gave his life to ending that. Uh, and through the work he did and the work of the foundation which has continued since his death, two million people worldwide have, can see, can see again uh, because of that work. 
Uh, it seems obvious, doesn't it? When you look at the world, when you look at many of the people in it, not just famous people, but the people that we know and the people that we love, it seems obvious, doesn't it, that you can be a good person without Christ, without Jesus, without being a Christian. But I want to spend some time today looking at what Jesus had to say about that idea by looking at that little account that we read, that little story that we read from one of the early biographies of Jesus' life, where this young man comes to Jesus with really that question. Uh, he comes to Jesus with, with exactly that issue. He comes to Jesus with that crucial question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? One of the other biographies of Jesus says, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do to be good, to know God? What do I need? And that's really the, the, the key question, I think, isn't it? What does it take to be good? What do we need to do to know God, to have eternal life? Well, Jesus begins to answer this guy's question with his own question, his own kind of enigmatic question. Jesus asks this guy, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Already Jesus is beginning to answer that objection that we want to think about, who is good? And Jesus answers that by saying in the first place that the only person who is good is actually God. And in what he does next and in what he says next, he wants to show this young guy, he wants to kind of reveal to him, open his mind to understand how and why that is. Uh, Jesus says to this guy... Uh, essentially, you want to know what it takes to inherit eternal life? Well, here it is, you know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, uh, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud uh, your father, uh, sorry, you're not sure to defraud, you shall honour your father and mother. In other words, what are the good things that God expects of us? Jesus says we can find them in the commandments that God has given us. They summarise uh, something of what it means to be good in God's eyes. They, they summarise God's pattern for the world and God's purpose for the world and what he wants us to be like as people. And as this young guy hears what Jesus has to say, he thinks to himself, well, that's great actually, isn't it? That's great because those are exactly the things that I've done or, or that, those are the commands that I've kept. I've never murdered anyone, I've never committed adultery, I've never stolen anything from anyone. He says to Jesus, all those things I've kept since I was a boy. He was probably right too, wasn't he? Jesus looks at this young guy and we're told that Jesus loved him. That is, Jesus saw in this man something of his earnestness to know God, his kind of desire to live for God in God's way. There's, some, there's truth about what this guy is saying. He's not just kind of prideful and arrogant, you know, I've kept these, you know, all these I've kept. There's something true about that. This is the kind of guy that if you've met on the street, you'd think to yourself, he's a really nice guy. I think I'd like to, 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 know, to know, know that person. I think I'd like to be friends with that kind of person. He's honest, he's genuine, he's respectful. And yet even still, Jesus says, that's not enough. Jesus says there's something missing. 
He says to this young guy in verse 21, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. It sounds uh, so simple, doesn't it? It's a pretty easy command. It's one thing, one thing you lack. That's it, one. Uh, All he needs to do is to sell his possessions, give them to the poor and follow Jesus and he'll be fit for heaven. That's all he needs to do, Jesus says, but he can't do it. In verse 22, we read, At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. You see, it turns out that this guy, his problem was that he loved his money too much. On the outside, he looks like a pretty decent sort of guy, but on the inside, actually, his love for money makes him unsuitable for the kingdom of God. It makes him... It wrecks his relationship with God, the God who made him and who loves him. You see, what Jesus is doing is trying to show this young guy that it's more than just what's on the outside that matters. It's more than, it's more than just whether people around you think that you're a kind of a nice guy. Elsewhere in one of the other biographies of Jesus' life by a guy named Matthew, Jesus shows how God's commandments were never just actually about kind of what's on the outside, The command not to murder was never just about murder, but also about not getting angry with other people. That's because anger is actually kind of the root of murder. It's kind of the first little step along that pathway. So too, the command not to commit adultery was always about more than just not having having sex with someone you're not married to. It was about not even lusting or desiring or fantasizing about people that you're not married to. Not stealing was always about more than just not taking things that don't belong to you, but about not even wanting them in the first place. But the sad truth is that those thoughts and actions permeate our lives. They're kind of wedded deeply into us. To see how true that is, kind of as an experiment, this week, see how long it is that you can go without being jealous or or bitter or resentful or angry, or without kind of fantasizing about something that you want, whether it's a thing or a person. It's impossible, actually, because the things which God hates are kind of wedded deeply into our, the very fabric of who we are. So someone drives up in a new car, you see the car, you want the car. You see a new house on the street, and you want that house instead of your own house. Uh, And you start to devise ways that you can get those things. And actually, it's not long often before you start to devise ways of getting them that aren't entirely legit. Because you're so desperate to have it. You're so desperate to have what you want. Our desires are so powerful and so consuming Uh, Or you see an attractive person and you want to be married to them rather than to the person that you're married to. Or you you meet someone that you just get on so well with and you think, oh, well, actually, I'd be rather married to them than than the person I am married to. Or you have a disagreement with someone and you're not just angry, but you're bitter and you're resentful and it lasts for days, it lasts for years. And you begin to hate them and avoid them and treat them differently. 
Now, you might think, well, why does it matter so much? I mean, you know, why does God care so much about that? Well, it matters because those desires and those sorts are the very things which destroy us and which destroy others and which dishonour God and which destroys God's world. And God hates them because of that. He not only hates that we act on those desires, but he hates that those things are so bottled up within us and kind of just overflow from out of us. He he hates the fact that they drive us and what we do. Jesus says to this rich young man, you might think that you've lived up to God's commands, you might think that you've lived up to what God expects of us because on the outside there's, there's, there's no box that you can cross saying that you've committed that crime, but actually what's lurking deep within your own heart, God sees that. And until that muck within you is cleaned up, you're not good. You're not good enough to live in God's world. Because actually, if God were to let you into his new creation, into the new world that he's piecing together in Jesus Christ, if God was to let you into that world as you are, you'd wreck it. You'd wreck it for everyone else. You'd wreck it for yourself. And you'd wreck it for God as well. And that's true not just of this rich young man, but that's true of every single one of us. While all those wrong desires and thoughts live in our hearts, we're not fit to know God or to live in God's world with God. So Jesus wants to show this this rich young man that even though on the outside he's kind of kept these commands, actually on the inside there's a lot of stuff going on that's not, not great. It's not okay. But actually, not only does Jesus want to expose uh, that this man has failed to live up to those commandments, he also wants to show him how he's failed to live up to the most fundamental commandment of all, the most fundamental uh, part of life. The, The six commandments that Jesus lists only represent the kinds of commands that God has given to outline the shape of our relationship with others. What Jesus hasn't mentioned at all, actually, is that great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. That is what Jesus is exposing in this man is his love for money and wealth above his love for God. Jesus challenges this guy to give up his money and follow Jesus so that he can really know God and love God, but he can't do it. He can't do it because he loves his money more than God. Our most fundamental problem is not actually the things that we do to other people or even the things that we do to ourselves. Our most fundamental problem is we don't love God as much as we should. Now, you might wonder, but why is that actually so important? I mean, isn't that a bit self-centred of God? Isn't it a bit self-centred of God that he just wants everybody to love him? But the answer is that we owe him everything. Uh, This is his world. He made it. He made us to live in it. He gave it to us as a gift to enjoy. Uh, And he sustains this world and he sustains us at every moment of the day. Every, Every breath that we breathe is a gift from God, a precious and a loving gift from God. And most of all, God made this world and he made us so that we can know him. That's the greatest gift that God can give us, that we can know him. 
To actually to reject that then, to live in God's world and not know God is, and to not love God is, is terrible. So imagine for a moment that you live in a house. Um, it's not your house, but it's your friend's house. Uh, but they've invited you to live in it and to share it with them. Uh, and your friend wants you uh, there so that you can spend time together and you can enjoy each other's company. But suppose that while you're in the house, uh, you refuse to acknowledge your friend's existence. Uh, In fact, you treat him as though he doesn't exist. So he walks into the room and you ignore him. Uh, He talks to you and, uh, and you refuse to reply. He makes you breakfast, uh, lunch and dinner, uh, and you eat them, but you refuse to look at him. Uh, he asks you to, uh, to treat his house in a particular way, to be careful about how you use things so they don't get damaged, but you ignore that uh, and you begin to damage things, uh, not only because you're careless, but sometimes you even do it on purpose. You treat the house as though it belongs to you uh, and not to your friend. Well, you know, what would you think of a person like that? What would you think of a person who lived in your house like that? How would you feel about that? How would you feel if, if your friend was treating you like that? Well, I think you'd be deeply hurt, you'd be angry. Uh, and you wouldn't want your friend to live in your house anymore. Probably after a while you'd say, just go. Uh, the house belongs to you. That's your right to do that. That's your right to decide who lives in your house uh, and who doesn't. But more to the point, I think, that even if you started out as friends, a slow wear of that rejection uh, and repudiation would destroy your friendship. So that in the end, there's nothing but ongoing pain, anger uh, and sadness. And it's the same with God, I think. This world is his world, we belong to him. To live live as though he doesn't exist or doesn't matter is deeply, deeply offensive. Uh, That's, you know, the most painful thing I think that you can do. And if we are to live in God's world and know God, then that has to change. You might be the most wonderful person in the world. You might be so kind to all your friends. You might devote your life life to the welfare of other people. You might make billions of dollars in your life and, and be the greatest philanthropist that the world has ever known. But if you live in God's world and refuse to acknowledge him, That's not right. He made us. He made you. And it's deeply, deeply offensive to God to to live as though he doesn't exist. If we are to live with God in God's world and know God, then all the pain of that hurt against God has to be dealt with. It has to be forgiven. Uh, And we need to be dealt with so that we're changed from being people who ignore God and reject God and hurt God even without knowing it sometimes. We need to be changed from being people like that into people who love God and honour God as he deserves to be honoured. 
So Jesus wanted to show this young man how high, high the bar is for living in God's world, for entering the kingdom of God. But how high is the bar really? Is it really, really high? Or is it just kind of a little bit high? Um, well, Jesus goes on to say, actually, it's not just high-ish, it's actually impossibly high. What God expects of all of us is beyond our reach. He says to the disciples after this guy goes away sad, he says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Well, okay, it's hard. But then he goes on and says, it's not just hard, actually, it's impossible. Verse 24, the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. Think of that tiny little thing on the end of, um, of a needle, the eye. And think of the size of a camel and imagine trying to squeeze one through the other. I'm thinking of my biggest darning needle at the moment. You know, they've got a, darning needles have big holes on them, but it's not big enough uh, for a camel to get through. Jesus says it's not just impossible for the rich, uh, sorry, it's not just hard for the rich, it's impossible. And it's not just hard for the rich, impossible for the rich, it's actually impossible for everyone. The disciples realise the implications of what Jesus is saying here. They ask each other, who can be saved? That is, they realise he's not just talking about rich people, he's talking about everyone. Who is there who can make it in? Who can be saved? For whom is it possible? Who can meet God's standard? Who can be good enough? And Jesus says, with man this is impossible. but not with God. All things are possible with God. Jesus wants us to know that there's no way that any of us can ever inherit the kingdom of God under our own steam. It's just impossible. Uh, like the rich young man, we might be nice people, but buried deep down inside of us are things that dishonour and destroy us and others and dishonour God. This young guy came to Jesus asking the question, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do to be good enough? And Jesus says to him, actually, there's nothing that you can do. The bar's too high. It's too high for you to get over. What you need is impossible. We might think that we can do it, but we can't. It's no more possible for us to be good enough to know God, to make it into God's world, to have a relationship with God. It's no more possible for us to do that than it is for us to squeeze a camel through the eye of a needle. Trying to be good enough is just folly. It's like putting lipstick on a pig. It doesn't actually do anything. It's just embarrassing. It's like trying to climb Mount Everest to get to the sun. You might be a little bit closer, but you're still billions of miles away. 
Nothing's changed. It achieves nothing. And if you and I think that we can do it for ourselves, then we're fooling ourselves. We can't do it. But Jesus says what's impossible for us is possible with God. God can bring forgiveness for all the stuff that we've done against him and God can clean up all those wrong desires and those wrong loves that are buried deep down within us and which we can't uproot. He can do it. And we can't. You see, at the very heart of Christianity is the realisation, and not just the realisation, but the acceptance that we cannot do what is needed to get back into a relationship with God. It's just impossible. At the heart of Christianity is the title of that article that Graham read to us before. I'm a sinner too. I'm not good enough. I can't do it. I need God to do something for me. What's impossible for us, though, is possible for God. And so I think the question then becomes, well, if it's impossible for us and it is possible for God, then how do we receive that? How do we get that? And the answer to that question comes in what Jesus says to this rich young man in verse 21. Jesus says to him, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Jesus isn't interested in this guy making a grade. Jesus is interested in this guy following him. That's the key. That's the answer to follow Jesus. It's impossible to be a good person without embracing Jesus Christ. But the way to receive the impossible is doing that, is following Jesus. The way to receive the impossible is by linking up with Jesus, by embracing him and by entrusting yourself to him and by receiving everything that he has accomplished in your place. Why is that? Why is that the only way? Why is that the way? It's because Jesus has done what we could never do. Jesus has done the impossible. He's obeyed the Father perfectly. He always lived his life in this world according to what God wants. And when we come to him, he promises to make us like him. One day. And he has died on the cross. He died a cursed death. He died the cursed death that we deserve to die. He died in our place so that we could be forgiven for living in God's world and ignoring God and doing all those hurtful things that we've done. And when we come to him, we share in his death. It's as though when he died, we died with him. And he's been raised from the dead because of his perfect obedience. And when we come to him, we share in that powerful resurrection life. And one day he will raise us up with him in his Father's glory. You and I can't change ourselves. We can't forgive ourselves on God's behalf. We can't raise ourselves from the dead. We can try but it's like trying to squeeze a camel through the eye of a needle. It's impossible. Our only hope is to receive God's free gift in Jesus and to receive it by giving up every other hope and taking hold of Christ. Well, I think the great tragedy in this story is that this rich young man couldn't do that. 
I think there are fewer more poignant words in the Bible than those words in this chapter. And he went away sad. It's a tragedy, isn't it? He comes to Jesus with the most profound question in all of life. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says one thing. Give up what you have and follow me. Whatever stands between you and me, give it up and follow me. And he goes away sad. His hands were too full with all his stuff. His hands were too full with all the stuff that he loved that he couldn't receive God's free gift in Jesus Christ. I don't know what it is that keeps you from embracing Jesus and entrusting your life to him. It might be money too. You might be like this, this guy. You might love your money so much that you can't give it up to take hold of Jesus. It's just too big a call. Uh, it might be pride. You might love your self-respect so much that you can't give it up to take hold of Jesus. You know, what would people think if they heard that you'd become a Christian? I remember uh, a story from a minister once uh, of a man, terrible drunk, uh, abusive to his wife. She put up with him for 20 or 30 years, I think it was. And he came to know Christ. His life has changed. His life has turned around. He came home and he said to his wife, I've become a Christian. And she said, well, I could put up with everything else, but I can't put up with that. Maybe it's your self-respect, your pride, your fear of what others will think, which keeps you from embracing Jesus. It might be your lifestyle that you love so much that you can't give it up to take hold of Jesus. It might be your freedom to do whatever you want, to live your life however you want, to just kind of enjoy life and not worry about having to listen to Jesus or, or follow him. It might be that which you love so much and you can't give up. Whatever it is, you're way better off getting rid of whatever it is in taking Jesus. You're way better doing that than keeping it uh, and going to hell. Salvation is a free gift, but it will cost you everything to receive it. It wasn't powerful to hear uh, those words from Israel Falau, that he'd give up everything, wouldn't he? A career, uh, money, everything that he had, rather than to give up Christ. Salvation is a free gift, but it costs everything to receive. Uh, if you've come here this morning uh, to find out whether you need Jesus to be a good person, then please know that you do. Uh, please know that it's impossible to please God without Christ. But please also don't go away sad. Please don't do that. Please don't hang so much onto your present life that you can't give it up to know Christ. Let me plead with you. 
because there's no other way except through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are a good God because you persevere with us. And you do the impossible. You make it possible for us to know you. And you have done that, Lord, not for those who are people who are your amazing best friends, but you've done it for us, people who ignore you and reject you and every day of our lives live in ways which dishonour you and hurt other people and hurt ourselves and destroy your world. Well, there's so much bad mixed up in us. The line between good and evil, Lord, runs straight through the human heart. And we know it. But Lord, you've done what we could never do in Jesus Christ. In his death, you brought forgiveness for those who entrust themselves to him. And in his resurrection, you've brought the hope of life, a life lived, loving you with all our heart. Lord, please help all of us to know that we need Christ to know you. And Lord, grant that none of us would go away sad, but that all of us would take hold of Jesus Christ. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.